0: The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers, and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show.
1: Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Glad to have you with us once again this week. We are inching closer to the high school football season the start of it. Teams are in scrimmages this week. Some of them had scrimmages over the weekend and they're starting to round out those positional battles and figure out what they've got coming back and where they'll be on opening day. And unfortunately some teams are struggling with injuries now. They're starting to mount up and make camp a little bit difficult to get through. We're going to talk about our preseason preview series and get you sound from the final four installments of that. We'll talk about last week's poll. Have a new poll question from this week. We have some things continued from last week's discussion with Wayne Ryan of the WVSS No new sound from Wayne, but he gave me some information about the game shortening and overtime procedures that I want to share with people and make sure people know about. I'm sure I'll share this a few different places, and I will probably keep this posted in the press box this season for my own good. A lot of rules that people would be better off if they knew. I will share with you my five area games to watch in no particular order. I think last week I promised five area games to watch and then the one pivot game for each team for the season. That's too much. We'll do the five area games to watch this week and the next week. It'll be the one game to watch for each team in the mid-Ohio Valley. It is my show. I can make executive decisions as I choose, and yeah, i choose. All of that coming up here later on. Of course, this is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Thank you for listening. However you found us this week, subscribe, download, write us, rate us, review us, whatever you need to do. Let us know what we're doing. Let us know what we could be doing better. We'll try to find a way to make this a show that's closer to what you want. This is your show. This is the show for discussion of high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Let's begin with a continuation of our preseason preview series. I talked to Tyler Consolidated Head Coach Ryan Walton. They're coming off a of playoff season. they got Got a 6-4 and four year last year and a 16 seed. They went to Wheeling Central and gave the Maroon Knights a game for a little while before Wheeling Central pulled away. That's eventual state champion Wheeling Central, by the way. But Mark Rucker and the Silver Knights are looking to build from that. Mark Rucker is going to be the go-to guy. Won't be the only guy in that offensive backfield the Silver Knights will lean on. But Rucker's leadership has improved as he's gotten older.
0: Like you said, last year we went the first round playoffs, played Wheeling Central. They're eventual state champions, and uh, Mark was fortunate enough to have a pretty good game, but that wasn't just due to what he could do, it was due to what some of these other guys did. Hopefully they can take that
1: and learn from it, build on it, get some confidence from it, go into the season uh, full speed ahead. Before I ask you about the rest of your offense, specifically with him, what makes him such a talented back? What does he do well?
0: Yeah, if you watch the game, you know he can catch the ball out of the field. He's got he's got pretty good vision, got pretty good feet. Uh, you know, he's he's just a good all around athlete. From his sophomore year, he had thirty uh, plus touchdowns, and junior year, thirty plus touchdowns. So he's one of those guys that knows what to do when he gets football and gets an opportunity. And he's a hard worker. He doesn't just come out and it happens. He works at it. He takes a lot of pride in what he can do, and uh, you know he helps a helps the team out.
1: That's Tyler Consolidated head coach Ryan Walton. Continuing with that heading north theme in the northern part of this area quite the story out of Payton City as the Wildcats turn to new head coach Zach Heasley. He replaces longtime head man Brent Crosman. Heasley, if the name is familiar, is a graduate in 2015 of Payton City High School. He's a 2019 graduate of West Liberty. He got the job in March before he'd even graduated West Liberty. He was just 22 years old when hired and just turned 23 less than a month ago. It's believed that he is the youngest current head coach in West Virginia. It's likely that he He's the youngest current head coach in all of the United States. I think I might do some digging into that and see if we can make a call or two to the NFHS and see what they have to say. I am curious to know that. Either way, youth will be served not just on the field, but in the coaching staff as well. Hensley says it didn't take long for him to command respect in his new job, though.
0: I think at first it was more of like, what? What? He's going to be our coach coming back. I'm pretty sure that's what the reaction was. But well, once you know, our first meeting, I walked in. I said, "All right, guys, sit up straight." And they're like, "Oh, all right." And then we started going, and we started building that that professional relationship. Mm-hmm. Where they knew what I expected of them, and they expected of me that they had to give their 110% to me or else I was gonna get on them and be disciplined with them. So they
1: started working really hard and just kind of get to that normal coach player relationship. Do you feel like you had to crack the whip early? I feel like I did, Once or twice? Yeah. Yeah, and I've
0: been told by so many people that you gotta start off strict before you can ease
1: down right
0: and that's something I try to do but I'm staying strict with them now because I feel like we got to be strict we got to be tight about everything and make sure everything is perfect mm-hmm. the closest thing to it to be able to
1: win ball games. That's Peyton City head coach Zach Heasley. One of the things I asked Heasley later on in the interview is if he had any personal connections to the players on the field in a small town. He grew up there. You have to know somebody. He says one of his players is the younger brother of a guy that was the running back when he was in school there, and his current running back was his next-door neighbor growing up and has been his next-door neighbor for a long time. The kind of things that happen when you're 23 years old and you're coaching at your alma mater, you're bound to know somebody or somebody's bound to be the brother of someone you played for or something like that, and there might even be more connections than he was able to share there, but uh, an interesting thing that we'll keep an eye on and see how Zach Keasley does at Peyton City. Well, from the youth to a veteran, River head coach Mike Flannery has a strong freshman class, 13 freshmen coming in, and that's going to infuse a team that was low in numbers last year. They finished up with barely under 20, and they've got a little bit more in the numbers this year. They're a little stronger there. A playoff team last year, and a team that Mike Flannery hopes can get back there, uh, but they've got a quarterback battle, too. Talent at the quarterback position is abundant, says Flannery.
0: We have three young guys competing this year Stone's Thompson, who probably played at least seven games on the average last year as a quarterback, and Chase was his backup. And, and they're both in good competition. It's between Stone and Chase. And if, if one of them's not in a quarterback, the other guy will be at receiver. And then a young freshman, Brody Lawson, who's a
1: three-sport athlete, is gonna be an outstanding athlete down the road. What's going to be the biggest thing that helps you decide? Is it what you see day-to-day in practice? Is it what you see in scrimmages? What really, because I know this probably is not your first rodeo picking between a couple of yeah. three guys, but what
0: is it that makes your, well, the, the decides things? It's a nice problem to have, first of all, and it's a collection of things, but it, it comes down to who can make plays, who can extend plays, but the most important thing is who the other guys are going to rally behind. Who's the leader? And so, sometimes you have quiet leaders. You know, Lucas was a quiet leader for us when he was led. My son was a quiet leader. So, and these guys are kind of similar because they're all quiet leaders. And each of them bring their own, you know, traits to the, to the game of what they can do best. And it's a little mixture of everything. So I can see right now that we might be playing two guys throughout the whole season. I see that happening maybe.
1: That's River head coach Mike Flannery heading across the river. Magnolia's Dave Chapman has low numbers this year, but they're confident about the players they have and the leadership on that team. One thing they're looking to do, just as River is looking to do, is to settle on a quarterback. And Dave Chapman, the head coach of the Blue Eagles, says it's between Brenda Mirandi and Caden Caesar.
0: It's kind of up in the air right now as we speak. And Caden Caesar is a junior. And it's the third year in the program. Obviously the Caesar name he yeah, was a two-time All-Stater here. His grandpap, I played for his grandpap, and the name so, does—the name always does—graduate. So to things have come kind of come full circle. I coached when Aaron played, Kate's dad, but Pat's brother Brendan is, mm-hmm. is also battling for that spot. So you know, here after the second scrimmage. You know, next week rolls around, we'll
1: know. That's Magnolia head coach Dave Chapman. Of course, the Miranda he mentioned, Brendan Miranda, is the younger brother of Patrick Miranda as quarterback last year. Chapman also would go on to mention that whoever doesn't get that starting quarterback job will be used as a receiver this season. So both players will see the field, and you kind of expect that on a team that's got numbers in the 20s. So that's our preseason preview series. The whole thing is on Light Rock 93R's Facebook Live, so check it out if you haven't already. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's take a look at last week's poll question. We asked you what gets you most energized about the start of a season? And unlike the previous week, this was a multiple choice question. I think they tend to go best when they're multiple choice. The feedback is the best. They're just the best in a lot of other ways. But By the way, what is the thing that gets you most excited, most jazzed, most ready to go, rip roar, and pumped about the start of the season. Is it your team's chances, or is it school-slash-community spirit? And we did encourage write-in answers. 64% of you said it's the school-community spirit. 36% said it's the team's chances out of 14 votes. And I get that. There's a lot of folks who have to rally around something or want to rally around something, and no matter how good or bad or ugly a team's season might be, at the very least, you have those first few games that first month of the season where you can come together as a community, the weather's usually pretty good, and it's usually a fun time to come out and support the kids and see people you know, your friends and neighbors, and then as the team maybe picks up some steam and the team does well, that could transition into the thing that gets you out to the games. But either way, sixty four percent of folks said school community spirit, thirty six percent said your team's chances. The one in we got was Taryn Malone. I enjoy seeing the media's coverage of all the teams across the area. It gives many people an eye opener on what to expect for the upcoming season. Taren is a media guy. i got to say he's a little biased, but that's okay. We we respect that, and we're glad to hear from Taryn once again as he's embarking on his career at WVU, his education there, and a long media career, what we hope is a long media career. So thank you for writing in, Taryn and wish you the best of luck as you get started at WVU. This week's poll, how much stock should be paid to preseason polls? That's the question we've asked this week. You can find that on our The Eric Little High School Football Podcast Facebook page. How much stock should be paid to preseason polls? And we ask that as the Metro News preseason poll is dropping next week over the weekend. And we'll share with you that preseason poll. We'll also share your thoughts on how much stock should be paid to that. I'm really interested to see where that conversation goes. Something left over from last week that I wanted to touch on once again. My visit with Wayne Ryan of the SSAC was a good one because we got to talk about a lot of rules changes, and if you haven't had a chance to watch Episode 2 of this year's podcast, I recommend you go back and listen to last week's episode. There's a lot of things out there that you'll probably learn about how the game's going to be officiated this year, some rules changes, and that'll get you set for watching the actual game this year. One of the things that he did for me there was he handed me two cards. One of them was a card that summarized the game shortening rule from the NFHS, and the other one is a card that has the West Virginia High School Football Overtime Procedures. And Wayne says these cards are with the officials at every game, so that way when these situations arise, an official knows how to properly educate that procedure. An official could do an entire season, or two seasons, or multiple seasons of games, never see overtime, or you could see it twice in three weeks, or even back-to-back weeks. And the same with the game shortening rule as well. So let's take a look at the overtime procedures. There's a coin toss at the beginning of the first and second overtime, the captains come out and you can pick offense, defense, or into field to play. Each team gets one timeout for the entire overtime session, and that happens the same way in the first, the second, and the third overtime. Timeouts do not carry over from the second half, which is interesting because overtime is technically an extension of the fourth quarter, but any unused timeouts in the second half do not carry over to the overtime. You only get the one timeout for the entire overtime session in one, two, and three overtimes. The defensive team cannot score on a turnover by the first team. And a big difference between what you see on TV a lot and what you see at high school football games, teams do not have to go for two following a score for any overtime session. Because a lot of times you see this in college and the pros, you have to go for two after that second overtime. that's not the case here. You can elect to kick the extra point or go for two at any juncture in overtime. You never have to do one or the other. And that's a big thing to remember too, is place kicking and even the two-point conversions, those aren't necessarily perfunctory like you might see at other levels of football. And another big difference between West Virginia High School football and a lot of other levels is that at the end of three overtimes in the regular season that game is a tie. You get three overtimes and that's it. I've done exactly one game in my career and I want to say it was Payton City and Valley that was a tie after three overtimes. We had the post-game show and my power got shut off while I was doing the post-game show so it ended kind of abruptly. Three overtime tie and that's what happens in the regular season. If there's a playoff game then you repeat the same procedures is a third overtime and you just keep going and going and going until you have a winner. So we haven't had one of those in a really long time. A long game in high school football in West Virginia and you won't see it in the regular season. The game-shortening rule, beginning with the start of the fourth quarter, if a 35-point differential has been reached, the clock operator will keep the game clock running unless the clock has stopped for an injured player, a charged team timeout is awarded, there's a change of possession, there's a score for a try after touchdown or any extended delay. Now, the game clock will run any other time, and the most important thing to note is that once that game-shortening rule kicks in, the remainder of the fourth quarter will be under that rule even if the differential is lessened. Maybe it becomes a 35-point lead running clock. Maybe a team scores two quick touchdowns to bring it down to 21, and you think, well, maybe they have a fighting chance in this one. No, clock's still running. So once that running clock is enacted, it doesn't stop, and it doesn't go back to being normal. There's also another rule that the NFHS has that can still be utilized a period, or periods may be shortened in any emergency by agreement of the opposing coaches and referee, and maybe if it's a blowout or if the score is a little higher than you think, and you know, you have inclement weather on the way, you can shorten the quarters to eight minutes if you want. That can be done by mutual agreement of the opposing coaches and the referee, and if that's done, any remaining period can be shortened at any time or the game terminated. So you can decide you want to end the game early, that's a weather one. Uh, you can decide that you want to shorten the quarters. That happens a lot coming out of halftime. Maybe a team is up 60 to nothing or something like that in the first half, and you want to shorten the periods and try to move things along and try to lessen the embarrassment on another team. You can do that. You see that done often in high school sports and there's Almost a game every week where that happens. So, again, those are the overtime and game shortening procedures. And, you know, when I look at this, I kind of wonder why isn't this more widely spread? There are ways to get this out to the public if the SSAC would elect to do that. They could talk to columnists. They could have a symposium if you want, a press conference at the beginning of the year to kind of emphasize things. These are going to be our points of emphasis, a press release, ad campaigns. There's a media committee that exists in the SSAC. I don't think it's too hard to get the word out there. So, maybe that's what it'll take for people to become more aware of the rules, is by putting this out there a little bit more and getting it out to the public. So that's what we're trying to do here. Even direct mailing these cards that I receive because they're two very easily stored cards. I mean, even in a small press box, and where I work, it's a pretty small press box, I have plenty of room to stick these up on the wall somewhere. I'll probably take them with me and have them just in case on another piece of paper. But either way, you could direct mail those to schools, direct mail those to media outlets. And I'll be honest, you know, some people might think that mailing it to a media outlet is heavy-handed, but I don't think so. I have no problem with, here are the rules, do this, because I think knowledge of the rules, it makes me a better football broadcaster, and it makes you, the fan, a more informed fan, rather than somebody who's just spouting off you know, whatever, when they think a rule's being misapplied. But, you know, then again, this is America in 2019, and we don't often like to read things before we form opinions. But either way, I think that's something that I'd like to see the SSAC do a little bit more, and that's to get that word out there. There's some really easy, inexpensive to free ways to get that kind of thing out there. Plus, it would help give those of us in the media something to talk about, something to write about maybe in the middle of summer, you know, a rule symposium or something like that. So, and maybe something will come of that. We'll see. Last week on the show, I promised you five area games to watch. I also promised you one pivot game for each team in the area. I decided to change things. I'll save that for next week, but I wanted to get you five games to watch. These are five games in the area in no particular order. There's it's not necessarily one through five, five through one. These are five games that I'll have an eye on this season. I tried to stay away from rivalry games because there's always, it's a cliche, and it's true. Those are always worth watching at some level. There's a couple of them on this list, but I had really good reasons to put them on the list and you'll find out. How about Tyler Consolidated at home against Doddridge County? That game is September 6th as Doddridge County forced to come into Kidwell. They'll be off their artificial surface at their new stadium, but this is a matchup that saw Mark Rucker of Tyler Consolidated and Hunter America for Doddridge County go off last year, as was mentioned last week on the show. This game will be broadcast live on 1455 Media. Mitch Owen from 1455 Media said that he's interested to see what these two running backs can do, and I'm interested to see what America and Rucker can do for an encore, and we'll see how it goes as Tyler Consolidated faces Dobridge County. I think that's going to be a really good football game. The first rivalry on this list is Parkersburg South and PHS. November 8th, the end of the season, both these teams will have nine games to shake things out. It might take Mike Bias's Big Reds' nine games. They're young at a lot of positions, and they've got a lot of growing to do, but I think that could be a really good team by the time things are said and done. But Nathan Tanner's Patriots are also young in a lot of ways. They've got Brandon Penn coming back as quarterback. Penn has started for the last few years, but quarterback is a new position to him as a full-time player. Tanner is a new head coach so there's a lot that remains to be seen about how he'll be as head coach of Parkersburg South. They're excited over there on the South side, but what will nine games do to either add to or temper that excitement? So this could go a lot of different ways, but either way, it's his first taste into a big rivalry, and the Big Reds will be ready for the Patriots by the time Week 11 hits. And don't you think that South remembers what happened last year when they were favored going in the stadium field and they didn't play a great game? PHS went on to win that game. South ended up hosting a home game and then got upset at home. So and not the end of the year that South hoped for last year. So that's going to fuel them as well going into this year. And even if they're beaten down going into Week 11, do will remember what that PHS game felt like last year. How about Parkersburg Catholic at Williamstown, a team that got beat down? Well, Parkersburg Catholic got beat down against Williamstown last year. But two things. One, they return almost everybody from that team. So they're going to be ready. And the other reason it's interesting is because Williamstown doesn't return a lot of people. So it might take Williamstown several weeks to get going in the season. A lot of excitement around Parkersburg Catholic and justifiably so, but Lance Benninger and the Crusaders, they remember the sting of that loss last year, and we'll see how they bounce back from that. Another one is a rivalry game, as was Williamstown Catholic and PHS South. River at Frontier. River is a team that's young. They've got a good young nucleus. They were a playoff team last year. It's possible they'll have enough to get back to the playoffs this year, but where is Russ Morris's squad? He said last year was a growing season for them. They really felt that they gelled in the last couple games of the year. They're a squad that if they could have continued to play for another month or so, I think that would have been a team that got a lot better as the year wound down. So I'm interested to see where they are. That's late in the year. So they'll essentially have a whole of the season before they get to that. So I think Frontier could give River a game in that one. And given that it's so late in the year, that could be playoff positioning for both of those teams. Another game, my last game on this list, is one you might not expect to be on the list, but it's there because of possible playoff implications. Magnolia at St. Mary's on October 18th. Magnolia and St. Mary's, long-time rivals, but that rivalry is kind of tempered in recent years. But it could be stoked up once again. St. Mary's off of a rebuilding year last year. They uh, look to be a little bit stronger this year. Magnolia is a little bit down in numbers, but they believe in who they have. So both of these teams could come into that game as fringe teams for the playoffs. That could essentially be a play-in game for the playoffs. But if St. Mary's can survive the first half of their season, they have three of their last four games at home. And even though they have Tyler Consolidated at the end of that season, schedule a team that projects to be kind of tough this year, that could be a Blue Devil team that has something to play for down the stretch, and they might have to dispatch Magnolia to do it. Either way, if I'm St. Mary's, I'd rather gather the wins as early as I can, because you have Williams Williamstown coming in Game 5, Magnolia in Game 7, and Tyler Consolidated in Game 10. You don't want to have to wait until then to pick off somebody you have to beat. You want to gather as many as you can, and Magnolia could be a real swing game for St. Mary's, and either turn that season around or propel them to the playoffs, or it could basically end things for the Blue Devils. So those are the five to watch. Title Consolidated at Doddridge, PHS at Parkersburg South, Williamstown at Parkersburg Catholic, River Frontier, and Magnolia at St. Mary's. Another reminder, our preseason preview series is on our Light Rock 93, r Facebook page. We mentioned that earlier. You've been hearing sound from that throughout the last couple weeks. All 12 videos are up there online. So if you missed one, you can catch up and use this time to do so as we wait for the season to start. Next week, it's opening week. We'll set you up for the first week of games. Plus, we'll have our poll question and... That one game to watch for each team coming into this season. Thank you for your time this week. Thank you for your download, your listen. Subscribe to us, write us, rate us, review us, let us know how we're doing. We appreciate your support of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. And if you haven't already, like it on Facebook too because you can interact with us there with the poll questions and there's so much content there that comes up throughout the season. You'll want to be with us there. That'll do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. My name is Eric Little and I'll talk to you again next week on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.